0: Okay, we begin a new sermon series, a series of six sermons on the book of James, or you can call it the letter of James. But first, we need to address one issue, the issue of one husband with five wives. Okay, what is this? It means how, who, what, when, why. Okay, so it's just a memory guide, one H and five W. It's easy to remember, one husband with five wives. And it's always good for us to ask questions. So first question is how? How was this letter of James written? And we know that James was an ordinary man. But through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, he wrote. And this we know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching as we are now under teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So it's written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What is James? James is an epistle, which is just an old word for a letter. Okay, James wrote a letter. And who, who is James? Who wrote the letter is someone called James. From the Hebrew, James is Ya'kob, uh, or Yakov in Hebrew. In Arabic, is Ya'kob. And then from Hebrew, it moved on to Greek, which is Ya'kobos. From Greek, it moved on to Latin, and Latin comes to English. So the modern form of Yakov in Hebrew, or Ya'kob in Arabic, is now James. Okay? And um, just as there are many James in the spy world, There are several James in the Bible, okay? First, there is James, the brother of John. And this, if you remember, the sons of Zebedee, the family of Zebedee. And they're also called the sons of Thunder. I think we'll talk a little bit about them uh, maybe in the uh, next week or or the week after. And this James, the brother of John, John who wrote the the New Testament uh, uh, Gospel, who also wrote the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the brother, was killed by King Herod. Then there is another James, and this James is listed as one of the twelve disciples, uh, twelve apostles, and he's called James, son of Alpheus, in Matthew chapter 10 verse uh, 3, uh, but we don't really know very much more about this particular apostle. Then there is another James, called James the less, or James the smaller, or the younger, in Mark chapter 15 verse uh, 40. And we come to our James for this next few weeks. Today's James is an apostle. In Galatians 1.19, Paul says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He's an apostle. This is James, the brother of Jesus, the Lord's brother. We can see in Matthew chapter thirteen verse fifty-five. He says, "And the people were surrounding them. Is it? Is this not the carpenter's son talking about Jesus? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And so the order listed here suggests to us that James was the oldest son that came after after Jesus. James is also called one of the pillars." of the church in Galatians 2, uh, verse verse 9, when James and Cephas, meaning uh, Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. Paul was saying this, that James, Peter, and John were the pillars of the church. James is also nicknamed James the Just because he was an ascetic, Okay, so he fasted a lot, he prayed a lot. They say that he prayed on his knees so much that his knees became hardened like that of a camel. He was, uh, in the early church fathers called him a very pious man, a very virtuous man, and the most just of men. So he had this nickname called James the Just, which is not in the Bible, but it is in church tradition. And traditionally, he was also the Bishop of Jerusalem. And he was martyred, uh, not, not really written in the Bible, but traditionally he was known to be martyred by, by being thrown off the summit of the temple. You remember when Jesus was tempted, uh, uh, the devil says, would you throw yourself off the summit of this temple? And Jesus replied, but he was pushed off and thrown off, didn't die, and at the bottom they clopped him to death. So he was a martyr. But James himself described himself very, very simply. You can read that in James chapter 1, verse 1. He simply called himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. Servant was how he described himself. So we've uh, covered what, who, uh, I forgot what we covered. But anyway, (laughs) who was it written to? Who was it written to? James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. To the twelve tribes of Israel. he was written to the Jews who were dispersed out of Jerusalem into the Roman world. So it was written to Jewish Christians who were dispersed in the persecution. Because everywhere else in James, he talks about brothers, brothers. So they're Christians. When was uh, James written around about 45 to 50 AD. And James is one of the earliest epistles, earliest letters um, in the Bible uh, uh, written. If you look at the list of the epistles in the Bible, of course, Paul wrote a lot of them, but more than half of Paul's epistles were written after James. So one of the earliest epistles. Where was it written? Jerusalem. James was in Jerusalem. He was called the Bishop of Jerusalem. And why was James written? We can see a key verse in James' first chapter from verse 4. It was written that you, that the Jewish Christians dispersed everywhere in the Roman world, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It was written that the dispersed Christians would be, the word complete means mature written for their spiritual maturity, that they understand <clears throat> what is true faith and what is true grace, and that this faith that they have is in response to God's love who gives us salvation, and that good works is the result of our salvation. It's about sp- spiritual maturity in a faith that works that works in every sense of the word. It's a very practical book. It doesn't have the high voluting theology uh, you'll find in, say, Colossians or Ephesians. It's just practical, practical, practical. So, over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of James, and I've sort of divided it up this way. Today, we're going to talk about wisdom, the wise, and then the religious, and then in the third week, the snob. Okay, this is not the most positive of titles, but... Uh, I really wanted to address that because I believe there are a lot of Christian snobs, uh, myself included, and then the tongue, the humble and the persevering. So let 's turn to James chapter one, and I want to read from chapter one, verse one to verse 21, uh, uh, to verse 20. So James chapter one: "James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. and withers the grass. His flower falls, and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil or shadow due to change of his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures know this my beloved brothers let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god and so the key verse I would highlight is in verse 4 and 5, that you may be spiritually mature, that you may be wise, that you will ask God for for wisdom. And the dispersed Christians would, were under trials, under persecution, and I want to deal with these three areas that I believe even in the early church that, that James was writing to, that about wisdom, and he says that the wise person knows how to persevere under trials, knows how to overcome temptations, and knows how to handle anger. And the early Christians that James was, was writing to, they need wisdom because they, they had to leave Jerusalem and enter a very pagan Roman society with all its associated temptations. They need wisdom to maybe even deal with anger during these trials. So, firstly, a wise person knows how to persevere under trials. And James chapter one verse two counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials um, are inevitable. They will come. They do come. We know, and that Jesus has told us that in John sixteen verse thirty three, Jesus says, "I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world." And in James chapter one verse two, it, it says, "When you meet trials of various kinds, it doesn't say count it all joy if you meet trials." Of various kinds. It's when you meet. And we should not be surprised that as Christians we will have trials, we will have troubles and tribulations. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 tells us Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So it's not strange, it should not surprise us. So in verse 5, we, are, we then ask for wisdom. To persevere in the context of suffering. We ask God for the wisdom to know that trials are terrible, but they produce patience and steadfastness, and it leads to completeness and spiritual maturity. And a wise man will ask God for the wisdom not to doubt God and God's goodness in trials. And suffering, and our wisdom is revealed in how we respond to trials. The genuineness of our faith is tested by how it stands up in times of trouble. And if our faith falls apart in trials, then we are unwise. Like a double-minded man, unstable in all these ways. That means when, when things are good, we are okay. When things are bad, we fall apart. Then we are unstable. And wisdom is to know, like what Billy Graham said, that mountaintops are for views and inspiration. And it's great that we have mountaintop experiences, but Billy Graham says, but fruit is grown in the valleys. In the natural realm, it's like that. Fruit is not grown in the mountaintops, it's in the valleys. And the fruit of the spirit of patience and love and joy is very often found in the valleys of our experience. So, count it all joy, count it all joy, not so much joy about trials, count it joy that you have trials, but count it joy in trials, that you are joyous joyous in trials. And hence comes what is often called the ninth beatitude. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, we have the blessed is a man, blessed is a man, many, many times, it's eight times, but in James, it's the ninth time. In verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And the psalmist tells us to to ask God to, to teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And our days are numbered, because after those number of days, we will receive a crown of life. Last year we went through a sermon series, if you remember, If God is Good, we're talking about suffering. And and since trials and suffering is inevitable, then we should not only expect it, but we should be good at it. We should be good in response to trials and suffering. And what I mean is that as of now, if we are not in any form of trial, and I hope not. But we should do some kind of scenario planning for our, our, our own lives. It's like, if I were to be diagnosed with terminal cancer tomorrow, I would be able to say, this is what I want to do. And I would ask God for strength to do this. Or if a loved one in your own family dies prematurely, you would already have done some kind of scenario planning And I say, this is what I want to do. This is how I will respond in this trial and I will ask God for strength to behave this way. You know, recently someone asked me to say, drop your counsellor hat, drop your pastor hat, man to man, what would you do in my situation? And my reply to him, this is verbatim from my WhatsApp message I sent to him, I said, I can drop the counsellor hat, I can drop my pastor's hat, as, as these are but roles that are given to me, but I cannot drop the Christ follower, the Christian head, the child of God identity head. That I cannot drop. And I say, often I I imagine what I would do if I were persecuted as a Christian or I were wronged as a person. I like to say I would die for my faith, but I don't know if I will have the strength or the courage when the time comes. I like to say that I can forgive like Jesus does, 70 times 7. And even the person who kills my family. But I don't know if I would have the strength or the courage when the time comes. But I know I can pray and I I know I can ask God for wisdom, for strength. And that's how I want to live my life. To be prepared, but you know you will never be 100% prepared. But go through some scenario planning that when the moment of trials come, you will know what to do. You will know how to ask God and God will give us the wisdom. An early church father, Cyprian, was describing his times. And he says, During the terrible plagues, Christians did not abandon sick loved ones or flee the cities, as most of the pagan residents did. Instead, they stayed to tend to the sick and face their death with calmness. Christians used sufferings to argue for the superiority of their creed because they suffered better than pagans. This is something that we, 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 we need to think about. We need to be prepared. We need to ask God and know what to ask God when that moment comes. So a wise person knows how to persevere under trials. A wise person knows how to overcome temptations. God tests us or allows trials to come into our lives to bring out the best in us. That's trials. Satan, on the other hand, tempts us to bring out the worst in us, that is temptations. So trials are inevitable, Jesus says so. Temptations, unfortunately, are also inevitable because of our sinful nature that we have desires. And again, in James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, When he is tempted. He doesn't say if you are tempted, when you are tempted. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted. I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So it's like this we all have desires that can turn us away from God. And then we are deceived based on those desires and we disobey even though we know that we should not be turning this way and it leads to death. You know, how do you kill rats? I hope none of you have a rat problem, but how do you kill rats? Um, long time ago when I was working in, in Mindev in uh, Minden Road, remember? Near uh, Botanic Gardens, we had all these very old officers and we had a rat problem rats poison is actually 99% rat food okay it's good for the rat 99% only that 1% is this is this poison and this poison thins the blood it's like what is it a warfarin or something it thins the blood of the rat and and, and the rat hemorrhages okay it is it's like ebola it, it just uh, uh, bleed, bleeds. Um, but you don't want the, the rat to be like under your table, under a cupboard, and just bleeds itself to death, right? That would be horrible. And so that same drug makes the rat go blind so that the rat will look for light and then it dies in the open. Uh, that makes it convenient for us humans to just throw away. It. But I had a rat of rats that in the morning we found out we, we, we had rat poison, we put in a tupperware uh, container, and then we just sprinkled some around, and then we left the tupperware on top of the desk. The next morning, the rat went all the way, bite through the tupperware, and ate the poison. That determined it was, because there is this desire for, for that food. It comes out of a sinful human desire. You know, a mother told her son, that you are not allowed to go swimming today. Okay, but when she returned home, she saw that the son's hair was wet, that he was carrying his swimming trunks, it was wet. And so the mother scolded her, I told you not to go swimming today. And the son said, I couldn't help it, mom. Uh, I walked by the pool, it was clear, it was cool. Yeah, I, I, at first I just stick my feet inside there, and I just swing, swing my feet in the pool. And then the water felt so good, I just couldn't resist it. And then the mother said, but why did you bring your swimming trunk with you when I told you that you're not allowed to swim today because there is like no lifeguard? I said, mom, I couldn't trust myself. So I took my swimming trunks with me just in case I was tempted. Isn't that the way we are? Just in case we are tempted, we can like... um, Some people say, you know, I, I... I, I shouldn't be eating chocolate cake and um, but after I drive around the chocolate cake shop for the tenth time, uh, I finally uh, stop in a car park because there was a car park lot uh, and, and I went in and I bought a chocolate cake. It's it's like that. It comes out of a sinful desire. And that's something the Bible tells us to flee temptation. And sometimes after we flee from temptation, we sort of says we leave a forwarding address so that the temptation can catch up with us. And and that's what I think this boy was doing. We often think that we can fight temptation and we flee from the devil because it's like scary. It should be the exact opposite. God gave us the armour of God. We talked about that uh, uh, a few weeks ago, so that we can fight the good five. And when we do that, the devil flees from us James chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, Yeah. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But God says, instead of fight temptation, he says, flee temptation. Many, many times. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Flee. 1 Timothy 6, 10. Flee. 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee. What do we do? The unwise person flees from the devil and fight temptation. The wise person fights the devil and flees from temptation. We tend to put it upside down. Mark Twain, who is a very witty person, uh, wise in his own ways, said this, there are several good protections against temptation. But the surest is cowardice. What do you mean? You can be a hero fighting the devil because we have the armour of God and God says, pull down strongholds and all that. But when it regards temptation, you better be a coward. You just run away from temptation and that is also God's way. You run away. You don't overcome temptation by saying, I will not be tempted. I will resist and I'm i going to fight this. I will not be tempted by pornography. I will not be tempted by Pokemon. I will not be tempted by whatever. The more you say that, the more it registers in your mind and it sinks in. The more you are letting it have a hold on your mind. The trick actually is very simple. Be a coward. Just run. Flee. Run away. Some people take cold showers when they are sexually tempted. Uh, some people go and exercise. Some people will read. Some will just call up a friend and say, I'm tempted. Just flee. Flee to a cold shower. Flee to a run. Flee to wherever it is godly and wholesome. And that's, I think, how we ought to be dealing with temptation. And James chapter 4, later on, we'll talk some more about chapter 4. But now, James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners. Purify your heart. So you could draw near to God and flee from temptation. So a wise person knows how to persevere under trials, a wise person knows how to overcome temptations, and a wise person knows how to handle anger. Trials are inevitable, temptations are inevitable. Can I also say that anger is inevitable? It's a feeling that we all have. It's how we deal with it. And anger is included in many lists of specific sins. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, there's a whole lot of quarreling, jealousy, uh, slander, gossip, blah, blah. Anger is in there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, a whole long list of malice, slander, obscene talk. Anger is in that list. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, another whole long list of sorcery and strife and jealousy. Anger is also in that list of specific sins. But what does James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 tell us? It says, Know this, my, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James chapter 1, 19 actually doesn't say no to anger. Strangely, it says slow to anger. But you can also be angry and do not sin. And we know that from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So by now you should be quite angry with me and say, So can be angry or not? Let me make you angrier by not answering your question for now. And bring you to the first mention of anger in the Bible. When was the first mention of anger in the Bible? Genesis, of course. What chapter? Chapter 4. What verse? Verse 4. And Abel also brought out, brought off the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offerings he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell, his countenance fell. Why Hebrews 11:4 gives us some clues By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commanding him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So it was something to do with faith. Now, we don't have time to go into an analysis of a Cain's sacrifice versus uh, Abel's sacrifice and why it was less acceptable. But we do know that he was very angry. His countenance fell, and that anger led to the first murder of a brother, what is called fratricide the murder of a brother. Now, I do wonder about another set of brothers and whether James ever thought of killing his brother, Jesus, his older brother. Now, I'm just speculating, but I think that James would have had many opportunities to be angry with with his brother, with his brother Jesus, the, the perfect Jesus. And I think that James would have learned anger the hard way, After all, his brother Jesus, his older brother Koko, was was perfect. The image of the invisible God. And I can just imagine friends and relatives saying to James, James, why are you so like that? Why can't you be more like your brother? So anger is a very natural feeling. It is how it is expressed that shows whether we are sinful or whether we are sanctified. Matthew chapter 5, it seems that Jesus took this anger business to an extreme level. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 onwards says, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to, to counsel. And whoever says, You fool or rakah will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow! I've always wondered about this passage. How often I or you have said, you idiot, you fool, you moron, or or more colourful, not mentioned from the pulpit, the Nazi used to call the Jews pigs, the Hutus from Rwanda would call the Tutsis cockroaches. I think there is a deeper message from, from Jesus that, the anger that is expressed sinfully is actually murder. And even the words that we use is murder. When you direct it against a person, it, it kills that person. So how, how can I kill a person? Because that person is made in the image of God, and you're calling that person a cockroach. By calling someone an idiot or a cockroach or a pig, it dehumanizes that person. It destroys and it murders that image of God that he was made in. And somebody says that if you keep calling somebody a cockroach, it makes it easier to kill them. And that's exactly what happened in the Rwandan uh, massacre in genocide. They just killed them all because they were just cockroaches. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity. To the devil, that is what a wise person, how he handles anger. I'm going to make fact and fiction in this next story. The fact is I have a Christian friend who had another car, car cut in front of him. How many of you have experienced that? Okay, I have a Christian friend who had that experience, a car cut in front of him, dangerously. And so he chased that car from Holland Village all the way to Fort Road, okay, near National Stadium. He chased him, honking all the way and I don't know whether or not, okay, this is the fiction part. Maybe he showed his uh, fingers or whatever. Now I need to add some fiction, okay? This part is fiction. Imagine this friend of mine, Christian, had uh, bumper, bumper stickers on his car or the rear windscreen, okay? He, he may have a bumper sticker that says, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to see him. You get this, right? Ah, don't SMS when driving. Okay. Or he's, he's, uh, in a rear, rear windscreen mirror, he says, Are you following Jesus this close? Or don't let this car fool you. Uh, my treasure is in heaven. Okay, It might be a small car. So imagine he had all these things stuck all over his car. And, and then he got pulled over by a traffic cop. And he got out of his car even angrier than ever for being stopped by a traffic policeman and he shouted at the cop, so what law did I break? I did not speed. I know I was chasing this car, but I did not speed. I did not break any law by sounding the horn. So, what law did I break? Why are you stopping me? Why don't you stop the guy in front? So, the traffic policeman came out and showed me a license and checked his license and checked his registration. And and my friend says, I'm going to send an email to the minister of whatever who looks after the police and I'm going to tell them about you. You stopped me for no good legal reason. What are you stopping me for? And then the the, the officer responded, I'll tell you what I pulled you over, sir. When I saw your car and all the bumper stickers there and the way you acted, I thought you must have stolen the car. Now you get it, right? A Christian wouldn't behave that way. A wise person, a person of wisdom wouldn't behave that way. James says a wise person is slow to anger. And I think that is a trick. Slow to anger. It's like this uh, student came to uh, his master, the sifu. and said, Master, I have a hot temper. I anger so easily. How can I cope with it? How can I cure it? And the master said, show me the anger. And the student said, I don't have it with me right now. I'm not angry, so I can't show it to you. Then the master says, well then, when you have it, show it to me. I can't, I can't just bring the, the anger uh, to you. It, it just comes very suddenly and, and I, I'm sure by the time I get to you, uh, it'll be gone. So the master says, so can you lose it before it gets to you? Can you lose the anger before it gets to you? You get it? Slow to anger. It's like taking a deep breath, counting to to 10, or for some of us, we need to count to 100. Slow to anger. James 1, verse 19 to 20. Quick to speak, uh, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And soon enough, you will lose that anger. There once was a wise man who wrote, Quite a lot about anger. Proverbs 19.3 When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages. He's angry against the Lord. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offence. Proverbs 16.32 When whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under the control. How did this man who wrote all these things become wise? I'm sure you know his Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs. He became wise because he asked God, and God answered him. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 1, God says, Because this was in your heart, you have not asked for possessions or wealth or honour, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches and possessions and honour, such as none of the kings who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. But, why did Solomon fail so badly? He asked God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. He wrote the Proverbs, but he cannot live up to the Proverbs. Why? Shouldn't he not have the wisdom to know that his sexual appetites for for foreign women would tempt him and turn him away from God if he's so wise? Or did God renege on his answer to Solomon's prayer request for wisdom? But you and I know that we don't have God doesn't provide us an, an instant and eternal cure to unwisdom or stupidity, you want to call it that. Instead God gave us what that is eternal holy Spirit who indwells us, and the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom. In Ephesians 1 verse 16, you can see and may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of knowledge for Him. And further in Ephesians, it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And we need to note the the grammar behind this. It's not be filled once and for all, eternally. It's be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit of wisdom. Because in life, you will constantly have to ask God for for wisdom to deal with the many issues in our life, to deal with trials, to deal with temptations, to deal with anger. And the Holy Spirit of wisdom will help us to persevere under trials, to overcome temptations, to handle anger. Okay, let me conclude now with what I saw in my friend's uh, uh, Facebook recently. You know, this is uh, my friend from primary school, same age as me, and he's, he's very, very sick, very, very sick. Um, we haven't seen each other for for years. Uh, I I used to visit him until he shut me out from his life. And I called. He wouldn't answer my call. He's no longer on Facebook, no longer on on email, no longer on phone calls. And a few weeks ago, suddenly I saw his Facebook come alive and and he was talking on, on the Facebook, so I immediately called him and we were able to have a very long talk. And recently... He he wrote this on his Facebook. He's, he's bedridden. okay. I'm still trying to make an appointment to see him, but we can't find the time. Because he says, I cannot go to the door to open, a, to open it for you. I need to have my wife around. And I'm communicating with the wife to set up a time. And we still cannot find the time. So he wrote this. Uh, you can't see it, but I'll read it out to you. I just saw a video clip on Facebook of a fierce and vulgar man repeatedly scolding a china lady over a petty issue of bringing her dog into the lift i can't help but to express my feeling about this i have been very ill for five years with many incurable diseases including tumors in various organs i can't talk i can't sleep i can't eat i have to lie in bed suffering in silence all my doctors have given up on me this man the man who was scolding the China lady, this man is blessed with good health but chose to use it negatively. We often do not count our blessings and take it for granted until we lose it. Then sigh. Pray that God will give us wisdom to live according to His will. Indeed, pray that God will give us wisdom to live our life according to His will that we can persevere under trials, we can overcome temptations and we'll be slow to anger. So this man, this childhood friend of mine, I would call him a wise man. He never wrote any books, didn't preach fantastic sermons, but I think a short note like this on the Facebook shows me that he's wise. He's wise because he is now suffering and persevering under trials. I do not know. He did not talk about his temptations. I'm sure he would have. But anger, he knows how to control his anger. He was angry with God for a while and and we were unable to to speak. We had no communication. But now, I believe he has turned back to the Lord. So let's turn to God. Let's look to God for for wisdom. And let me call the musicians to come up. That what trials we may be facing in life now, that we may have a heart of wisdom and we know how the number of days because it will not be forever. When we persevere to the end, what will God give us? A crown of life. So Whatever illness, even if it is terminal, whatever your family might be going through, whatever trials you are going through, persevere, persevere. Ask God for strength ask God for wisdom to just overcome these difficulties as my friend does. I mean, I just cannot imagine lying down, unable even to get up to open the door and cannot eat, cannot sleep. Persevere. As to temptations, we flee. Let's be cowards when it comes to temptation. But let's be warriors when it comes to prayer and spiritual warfare. Okay, don't turn the thing upside down that you You fight temptation and you flee the devil. No, it's the other way around. You flee from temptation, you fight the devil. And lastly, how to handle anger. Be slow to anger. That's right, as we look to God, as we ask Him to give us wisdom. to you, so I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see the things like you do. God, I look to you. You are where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. God, I look to you. God in our trials so standing at the back now I look some of you have shared with me what you're going through I know it's really difficult within the family, relationships health problems let's look to God let's cast our vision long that we will receive a crown of life we just battle it through for now God will give us strength many instances God will turn things around but sometimes no we just continue suffering let's look to God as for temptation God does not tempt us our desires when deceived under disobedience brings us negative consequences leads us to death and that is temptation so let's flee from temptation even now if you know what it is that tempts you, come before the Lord. Ask him for specific strength to flee, to run away, to cut it out. If there is a relationship that is unwholesome, then you need to take specific actions. Even you change your phone number, I don't know, resign from that 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 situation and, and just flee. Flee from temptations. And lastly, how do we handle anger? We are slow to anger. We do not let the sun go down on our anger. We do not allow opportunity for the evil one to grow that anger into a root of bitterness. That is wisdom. Ask God for a spirit of wisdom. So let me end in in prayer now and I will encourage you if you need someone to pray with you, of course, do what we normally do at an altar call. So Father, I give you thanks for your word in James to us and I pray for my brothers and sisters here as I pray for myself, God, that you would enable us to have the strength, the wisdom to persevere under trials. you will help us to overcome temptations by fleeing from them, by taking even painful steps if necessary to just put it far away from us or put ourselves far away from the temptation. And lastly, to be slow to anger that we will never let anger grow into bitterness that will affect us. So God, hear our prayers
1: Yeah. Mm. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.